How are you today? Welcome to another episode of the Bible Coffee and Page. That would be me. Have my coffee. And today we're going to continue on the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Let me get my Facebook page set up here so I can say hello to everybody. Let's see. Oh, let me, I have to reload the page. There we go. Boom. Okay. Reloading, reloading, reloading. I hope everyone is doing well. Chapter 13 begins a really important part of John's gospel. It's where he focuses for from here on out what happens on the last few days of Jesus' life. We're going to find out that this is where John focuses on uh, the teaching of Jesus a lot, a lot more in depth. And, uh, and today's episode, it's the first... Uh, instance in a long, long time where Jesus isn't confronted by or isn't confronting uh, the religious leadership of the Jewish nation. So you won't have to listen to me rant about how uh, about religious leaders and and how sometimes they miss the boat. And my usual, uh, some have considered me to be a little bit uh, on the side of anarchy in the Christian church. That's not true. But I am against foolishness, and I am against pride, and I am against uh, using the church as a base for power and prestige. And today we're gonna we're gonna take a look at what I think should be the primary characteristic of Christianity. So, without any further ado, let's read all of John thir- the first half of John thirteen. And then we're going to talk about it. Today, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Let's go. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, don't re- you do not realize now what I'm doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You gotta love Peter. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. 
When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right. Pretty amazing stuff. A couple things. Uh, I spent some time in Edersheim's book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, which I would recommend if anybody uh, wants to do a deep dive into Jewish culture. Edersheim wrote this book. It's a harmony of the Gospels in uh, the 1800s, late 1800s, I believe. And he was a of Jewish extraction, and he became a... Uh, a priest in the Episcopal Church, I believe, or Church of England, as we might know them. And he put together a harmony of the Gospels with a total, like I said, deep dive into Jewish culture, explaining things that we normally would not think of. And and it really comes to play here in this scenario. It was before the Passover festival. First of all, it was customary if you were to visit somebody's home that the master of the house would uh, have his servants wash your feet. Because back then, of course, they wore open-toed sandals and they trod everywhere and their feet would be dusty and dirty and and he would have uh, one of his servants uh, wash the feet of the, of the weary traveler. And there's, there is something refreshing about having your feet washed with cool water. It's... It's a neat sensation. But the master never washed his guest's feet. He always assigned a servant to do it. So that's the first thing to look at here. Jesus gets up and washes their feet. Um, I'm going to go over here to something I've got from Edersheim. We're going to read just a little passage from his book. The cup in which, according to Express Rabbinic History, a testimony... The wine had been mixed with water before it was blessed, had passed around. So at the beginning of the this meal, wine and water mixed together, it was blessed and passed around and everybody drank it. The next part of the ceremonial was for the head of the company to rise and wash hands. Of course, that would be Jesus. He would wash his hands. But Jesus did something different. He altered this part of the ceremony. Instead of standing up and washing his hands, he washes his disciples' feet. The head of the house, the the head of the company alone washes hands immediately after the first cup of the meal, and then the second time, at the end, at a much later part of the service, before immediately before the actual meal, everybody else washes their hands, and this is an act of purification. So, at the beginning of the feast, the master would wash his hands the head of the company alone, I should say, would wash his hands. And then everybody else washes their hands just before the meal itself. So they have a cup of wine that's passed around, wash the hands. Other things happen. Then just before the main meal, 
Everybody washes their hands. Well, this happened at the very beginning of the meal. They they sent the cup around. And then Jesus stands up. Instead of washing his hands, he washes their feet. Now, there's a lot of significance we can draw from that. Jesus says, you don't realize what I'm doing. But later you'll understand. Of course, Peter says, don't do it. And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Then wash everything, Peter just says. Wash my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. All right, the symbolism here is very plain. If you are a believer, you don't need to be converted again. You don't need a complete cleansing. When I became a believer on that day in boot camp in 1975, late March, I was separated from God. I was unclean. I was filthy. My heart was dark. And then when Jesus overwhelmed me with his presence, honestly, and my charismatic friends get all oogly-googly over this, I remember that moment. I felt like a shock of electricity and a flush of like a a fever (laughs) from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. There was a very real physical sensation that accompanied that salvation experience. And it, it was... I would describe it as as if something had been dumped on me. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody. That was just what happened with me. But I can see the symbolism there. I was washed. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I was washed. So he says here, those who had a bath, which I had just had, need only to wash their feet. You don't need to be converted again. You don't need to be saved again. You don't need to have that thing happen to you again. But you do need to wash your feet. And he says, and you are clean, talking to all the disciples, though not every one of you. And see, this is a mystery to me. I know things needed to happen for Jesus to fulfill prophecies. But why Judas was there? And yet, Jesus did not treat him any differently than the other 11 disciples who truly were his disciples. Because Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. Not every one of you is clean. We can draw lots of things from this. Um, I tend to uh, avoid going down too many rabbit holes because you can, uh, there's a method of teaching which treats something as a symbol of something else. So you read something and then you talk about why it's a symbol of something else. Taking a bath is a picture of conversion. That's in this picture here. Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. So washing the feet means something. Having a bath needs something. And One of them had not taken a bath. (laughs) One of them was not clean. One of them was not a true believer. And what's interesting is that apparently none of the other disciples saw Judas's heart. Judas Iscariot had become the one who was taking care of of their uh, finances. 
and the others did not see his heart. He was just one of the 12. And isn't that true? Aren't there people in our lives that have just absolutely fooled us on the outside? They look so right. But in the inside, they're not one of you, really. The Presbyterians have this thing uh, where they call the church visible and the church invisible. The church visible is everybody shows up on Sunday. The church invisible are those true believers in the midst of all of those saying they're believers. Judas claimed to be a disciple of Christ. He was one of the 12. And he was still there after everybody else left. Back a few chapters when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that whole thing that weirded everybody out. Apparently he stuck around. But he really wasn't of them, was he? But yet he appeared to be. Now, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Ain't gonna lie. Ain't gonna lie. I worked for the government. I was in the Navy for 16 years and I had secret clearance. I never got top secret clearance. But I do know that uh, many times um, things that we see in the news aren't as they really are. Shock, surprise. Um, Many times the official narrative put out by the government isn't exactly what happened. So I've seen enough of that to realize that um, the government isn't going to tell us everything we need to know. So there's a... So I, I'm, I'm suspicious, and there's a, uh, like I said, a little bit of a conspiracy theorist in me, and and uh, that's been passed down to my son, who's also a conspiracy theorist, and sometimes when we get together in the holidays, he and I will just see how whacked out we really are over conspiracies. It's hilarious. But I would not be surprised, because... Early on, we saw that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin set out to kill Jesus. They started to persecute him, prosecute him, building a case against him. And one of the things that I would do would be to infiltrate an organization, have one of my people on the inside. What if that was Judas's job? Um, I could see it. I could see Judas hanging around when everybody else left because he had a job still to do. He didn't hang around because he believed in Jesus. He hung around because he had a job to do, and they paid him at the end. So perhaps that's what happened. My little conspiracy theorist mind goes in directions like that. But regardless, he wasn't washed. One of the 12 was not clean. Now, Jesus finished washing the feet, put on his clothes, returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. So now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. Is Jesus really concerned with the cleanliness of our feet? No, this is a picture of something else. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. One of the examples is, as the the head of this company, the master of the room, if you will. It was customary for him to bring in a servant to wash their feet, but the master did it. He took on the role of a servant. Now, those of us 
with the gift of 2020 hindsight, we can look back over 2000 years and say, ah, he was, you know, he was the servant and we should be servants. That's exactly right. Now, here's something else. They were staying at a house and the master of that house did not wash their feet, did not uh, provide for their washing, the washing of their feet. Now, I don't know if that was a slight on the part of the uh, master of the house, or maybe the master just didn't, at that house, didn't have servants. But in either case, he acted as a master would be expected to act. If there were no servants, he was not going to wash their feet. The master of that house did not wash their feet. The head of the company, the master of the company, Jesus, he did wash their feet. He stood in where someone else should have done and washed their feet. He stood in their place and washed the disciples' feet. He says, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The inference is plain. Jesus is the master. And if he was willing to wash the feet of those who loved him, should we do less? So there's that. Okay. I like that. So this is the application. This is something where I'm applying all of this to me. First of all, the washing of your hands prior to the first cup, something I do for me. It's a, in this, meal, I'm cleansing my hands. It's washing my hands is something I do for myself to prepare myself for this celebration meal. But washing feet is something I do for you. You don't wash your own feet when you go to somebody else's house. They do something for you. When I, Jesus is saying, instead of washing my hands, I'm going to wash your feet. So washing my hands prior to the first cup is something I do for me. Washing feet is something I do for you. My application? Well, my daily devotional is akin to the hand washing. What I'm doing right now, I'm really not doing it for you. I hope you're not insulted. I'm doing it for me. This is something I do to cleanse me, and to get my heart ready for the rest of my day, to prepare me for the rest of my day. Much like after the first cup, the master of the house washes his hands to prepare himself for the rest of the Passover meal. So this devotional is my me time. I'm doing something for me. Foot washing, in my mind, is symbolic of acts of service to others. That brings refreshment, much like cool water on the feet after a Busy, busy day. So what can I do? The question is, what can I do to demonstrate this in my daily life? What can I do to serve others in humility? Not to promote me, but to meet a need in their lives. Christianity and Christians should have as their calling card humility and the willingness to serve others. One of the things we need to have other people identify in us is our servant's heart. Our ability and our willingness to put somebody else's needs in front of ours. The master at the house where the Passover feast was being held, he didn't supply somebody to wash the feet of his guests. 
So the master of the feast, Jesus, he washed their feet. It was a good object lesson in the fact that he wants them to have a servant's heart, to be humble, to not put themselves above others. (laughs) Sometimes we Christians get caught up in self-serving words and actions. You know, I I went to Russia on a mission trip once to help orphans. I was with a, a Christian band and we would go over there and we held concerts and we would go to different orphanages and minister to the children. One of the big distinctive differences between the churches we visited in Russia and the churches I know here in America, and this doesn't apply to every church, but there was next to no I, me, mine attitude, words, or actions. The people in Russia, in one church in particular, they were getting kicked out of the building for hosting us. They were not going to be able to have a building to meet in and worship. And they were not distressed at this. The pastor, when I asked him about it, he says, if we have to, we'll go have church in the woods. I said, but what if it's 20 below? He says, we'll have church in the woods. I said, how are people going to be baptized if it's winter and you're in the woods? He pointed at the river. He says, there's a river. If they want to be saved, there's the river. And they had this attitude of doing whatever they had to do to serve each other. And don't get me wrong, this isn't me going off on today's church, but I've noticed in some places that people come to church expecting to be served. They want certain classes. They want their children to be taken care of. They want to be entertained. And that's how they view Church. This is a place I go where I get fed. This is a church where I go to. I get ministered to. And it's a it's a me I thing with them. How different would church be if we went to church with the attitude of service? What can I do to make this person have a good day? What what else could I do? to serve those around me? What if instead of going to church to get fed, I went to church to feed? What if I went to church to serve? It's a different attitude. What if I, instead of washing my hands, I wanted to wash somebody else's feet? What if outside the four walls of the church, we look for opportunities to serve, to be a servant? to meet the needs of those in our circle. You know, Jesus said once when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor, they said. And that's when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And basically the, the gist of that story is that your neighbor is whoever is in your immediate circle that needs something, that needs help, meet their needs, wash their feet, 
be a servant. The Lord took upon himself the role of a servant at this meal. Can we do any less? So I'll just leave you with this question. What can you do to serve those around you? It doesn't have to be a high lofty ministry thing. It could be bringing a bag of groceries to somebody who needs food. It could be providing gas for someone who's run out of gas and they don't have the money to buy gas for their car. It could be providing clothes. It could be providing anything. What are the needs of the people around you? Take on yourself a servant's heart because that's what the Lord did and wash their feet. And with that, I'm out of here. My coffee, the Bible, and me. Thank you for listening while I think with my mouth open. There's a lot of personal application in this for me. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.